Hello everyone. How's everyone today? Doing alright? Nice to see you. A little bit warmer this evening, but that's alright. It's nice to be here on the beach. I was joking around uh, with someone earlier saying, maybe we just need to get a building with AC and everything, and we're like, nah, let's stay on the beach. Much better. My name is Brian. For those who don't uh, know me, that was my brother Michael. And uh, we just moved here along with some other family and we moved here about two months ago to start a church and to start an inn and to do a bunch of different things and we're just so happy to be here and really excited to be with you this evening on the beach to get to worship together and also to study God's Word and that's what we're going to do right now. So if you have a Bible or a phone, you can open it up to the book of Colossians. I say this every week, and uh, I'll keep saying it, but we believe in the authority and power of the Word of God, of the Scripture. And uh, so we look to the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, to help us as we read His Word to apply it into our lives, to be uh, the people that He wants us to be because He created us for a purpose. We're here for a purpose, and uh, we want to find out what that is and walk in it. And uh, so we study the Bible together, we make the application, we pray together, worship together, and then we go out and live our lives in the world and be the salt and the light that God has called us to be. So we're in Colossians, and basically what we do, I know we're kind of a new church, but uh, what we do is we teach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, expositional Bible teaching is what it's called, and we just... Let the Bible speak for itself, make the application, and pray and ask God how we can apply it to our lives. So we're in Colossians right now, and uh, we're in Colossians, we're in verse 9. Verse 9. And the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote to this church in Colossae, and he wrote for a couple of reasons. It's helpful to, ha to get the background a little bit so that we can understand what he's saying and then we can apply it to our own lives in our day and age like where we are today. It's surprising how relevant God's Word is to the situations we face in life today, even though it was written so long ago to this church uh, back in Asia Minor. And, but he was writing for the purpose of a couple of things. The first thing is so that the church would love Jesus Christ more. That was really the, the purpose of writing. The, the Scripture is all about Jesus and you find every book of the Bible the central theme is Christ himself. So they were writing to, or he was writing to them so that their love for Jesus would grow greater. He was, secondly, he was also writing to them so that they would love one another more. I mentioned this last week that, and actually the week before that, that love is the most important thing. And that his goal and God's goal in giving us the scripture is not to make us smarter or more intelligent or more knowledgeable, though that's important. The goal of the Bible and of scripture is to lead us to Jesus and, and thereby making us more loving people. And, uh, and I was just reading actually the other day where, where um, John, the, he wrote the Gospel of John and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He said that, you know, you guys have had this commandment for a long time, but it, it's a new commandment in Him, in Christ, and that commandment is that we should love one another. Man, there's a lot of kids here, huh? <laughs> it's awesome. What? I don't, I don't want them to get offended, and it looks like they're having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it looks, that's okay. 
If you guys can handle the child noise, I can handle it. So we lived in, uh, my wife and I and our family, we lived in East Africa for 10 years. We were missionaries in Uganda. And we had a church. We actually started the church there in the middle of the city center in Kampala, Uganda. And there's probably like 2.5 million people in the city officially, but I think there were more than that. And uh, so there wasn't air conditioning in our building. We were in like kind of a high-rise building in the downtown. In the top two floors, we rented them as a church. So the, it was the third and fourth floor. The third floor was the children's ministry. And then the fourth floor was the, like the meeting area, the sanctuary area. And because there wasn't any air conditioning and it got a little bit hot in Uganda from time to time, we, we, would just, we had big windows all around and we would open the windows and let the breeze go through. But the only problem with that is that the sound would come up from the street below, up directly. It's kind of like when uh, someone's cooking or barbecuing, like a neighbor or something, and you open your window and then the smoke goes right into your kitchen and you smell it and, and love it or hate it, depending on if they're burning it or not. But it was like that with the sound. The sound would come right in, suck right into the windows. So there was honking cars and barking dogs and talking people and a gunshot every once in a while. You know, it was always exciting uh, being there. So having said all that, I know I've been out of practice with all, all that preaching in that kind of environment because I'm used to kind of the, well, I was in New Zealand to, for the last two years and America the same is, you know, you have a very controlled, I was telling someone, they asked me because I preached at a church in Lakewood Ranch a couple weekends ago. And I said it was nice because it's kind of like a controlled environment. You know, the kids go off to their classroom or whatever, and then the people are all like there, the air conditioning. And, but it's much more exciting to be in this kind of an environment. So if you can handle, oh, does someone tell the kids to leave? <laughs> yeah, they, they heard me talking. They're like, let's get out of here this guy. If you can handle it, I can handle it, I think. So let's just get back into it. Colossians. So he's writing so that they would, they would uh, love Christ and that they would love one another. And we talked about that a little bit last week because he's talking about that he heard that this church had received the gospel. Paul had never been there, but their pastor, um, Epaphras, was in prison with Paul. Believe it or not, Paul was in prison for the gospel, and he was writing these letters. That God was using him to write these letters to churches and things like that. So he was there with this church in Colossae. Their pastor was also in prison with him. He said, he's a really great guy, and he sent this back with him so that, that this church could be encouraged so they could love Christ more and love one another more. But he says, when I heard that you guys have received the gospel, it was really encouraging for me, especially because I heard of the fruit that is being produced in your lives and I talked about it last week that you know a Christian is more than just our name it's more than just kind of our religion the gospel of Jesus Christ should transform us so that our lives actually change to reflect the one who we believe in Jesus and we don't instantly become exactly like Jesus life the Christian life is the process of becoming more and more like our Lord and loving people like he did and loving God like he did and so forth so that's what he opened up with from verses 1 to verse 8. And so he's saying that this, this guy Epaphras in verse 8, your pastor, he declared to us your love in the Spirit. And I talked about the gospel last week and what it produces in a Christian life. But then he says in verse 9, this is where we are today. He said, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So 
he's talking about this church and he's saying, we heard about, and then for those of you who are here last week, maybe you weren't, you can just read it right now. Verses 1 to, to 8. He heard that they had received the gospel. He heard that they were bearing fruit. He heard that they were loving one another in the Spirit. And he says, for this reason, since the day we heard that about you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for you. He says, we do not cease to pray for you. In fact, in verse 3, he said it already. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Here's the thing when you think about prayer. It's something that we know. Hey, should Christians pray? Yeah. Should Christians pray? Yeah. What does prayer do? It's just something we do, right? I, the more I read the scripture, the more I realize in Paul talking and uh, Peter and the rest that were writing these things, they talk about prayer a lot. And the more I, real, more I read this and see what he was talking about, listen, he actually believed, and I know this is going to sound dumb, like, duh, but he actually believed that when he prayed, God answered those prayers and did things in response to those prayers. Wow, mind-blowing, right? <laughs> when we pray, God hears us and answers us? Of course, but I don't know if you're like me. I kind of tend to think like, you know, God is so big and powerful and all-knowing and infinite and sovereign and all the rest that how could my prayer really make any difference? How could it change anything? There's another letter that Paul wrote at the exact same time as he was writing uh, Colossians, and it's a letter called Philemon. It's a little short letter. It's not to a church. It's to a guy named Philemon. <laughs> and he says he's in prison, so he, it's, I'm not going to get into what the letter was about that he wrote to him, but there's an interesting verse that I, never, I always remember when I think about prayer. And uh, you know what? I'm going to read it because I don't, I'm gonna, I don't want to mess it up. Where's Philemon again? <laughs> Were you guys here the first week I was talking about this? Where I got nervous about not turning to the right place in the Bible? Because the pastor should know where everything is instantly. <laughs> okay, it's right before Hebrews. And then, uh, so he's talking about this issue. It was a long story. And, uh, okay. Okay, in verse 22 of Philemon, if, you're, if you've turned there, I did, but I'll just read it to you. He says, meanwhile, so he talks about this issue with this former slave and this and that, like set him free, this and that. So in verse 22, he says, but meanwhile, also prepare a, good, a guest room for me. So Paul was saying, I'm going to come visit you. Here's the problem. Paul was in prison. He's writing Colossians. He's writing uh, Philemon. He's writing Ephesians. Same time. He says, uh, prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. So you think about that. What is he saying? He's saying, I believe so much in the power of prayer, and I know you're praying for me, so I know that I will... So you need to prepare a guest room. Because through your prayers, I will be released and granted to you. This is what he knew about prayer. So he believed in the power of prayer. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. There's another story about Peter. Uh, in the book of Acts, the story of Peter when he's imprisoned. And do you know what the church did when Peter got imprisoned? They gathered together and they started to pray. This is the reason why I love that story. I won't even turn there, but I wanted to tell it because Paul was so confident, through your prayers I'll be released, prepare the guest room. These guys were praying for Peter. He was in prison another time. These guys were in prison a lot. 
And they were praying fervently, the Bible says. And guess what? An angel, literally an angel, went to the prison where Peter was being kept, and he was released from prison miraculously. And he walks to the house where the church was praying fervently. And he knocks on the door. I'm not even kidding you. You can go read it. He knocks on the door, and one of the girls comes down. And I always think of it like on those old doors where they have the little eye slat. Do you think of that too? It's like, the, who goes there? Hey, it's me, Peter. <laughs> she shuts it. Runs back up. Who was it? Peter. Do you know what they said? Nah, it's not Peter. <laughs> He's in prison. Let's get back to praying for Peter in prison. So I, I kind of identify with those church people more than with Paul at this, in this point of prayer. And I, you know the story with Peter. They, they said, no, it's his angel or something. It's not really him. And then they finally they're like, oh, yeah, go ahead and let him in. He comes in. He says, God delivered me. But the point is they didn't believe really, I, from what I get from it, is they didn't really believe in the power of their prayer, did they? They were doing it because they believe it. The Bible says it. But when Peter shows up, they're like, nah. Have you ever prayed for somebody? Oh, this is where it gets, gets real. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Have you ever prayed for somebody, for something, and you're praying for them, you really want it for them? Maybe it's someone to be healed or someone to get a job, whatever it is. Someone's kid to come back from being a prodigal, whatever the case is. And you're praying but really, in, your, in the back of your mind, be honest, you're thinking, eh, that's a tough one. <laughs> we pray for Peter. He's in prison, but, you know, those bars are strong. Yeah, the bars are strong, but God's stronger. God, God is bigger. Prayer is not powerful. I want you to know this. It's not prayer that's powerful. It's God that's powerful. And God said, if you ask something of me and it's according to my will, I will do it for you. So that makes prayer powerful because imperfect people like ourselves who don't have a lot of faith can pray to God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and He can answer those prayers. And that's why you see it again and again in these letters. I'm praying for you guys. When I heard about your faith, when I heard about your love, I've prayed for you. And there's actually specifically, so you wonder, what does he pray? It specifically says what he prayed. Verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be... Okay, I'm going to read the prayer. Are you ready for this? These are the things he's, pray, he's praying for them. So you say, Paul, Paul's praying for me. What's he praying? I'm praying for you. And this is what he's praying for. Let's read. I'm going to read to verse 14, then we'll go through and look at it point by point. He says, I'm going to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That you would be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience, long-suffering, with joy. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I just quickly noted five things that He's praying. So if you ask, what should I pray for? The disciples asked that about Jesus. He said, they said, what should we pray for? Teach us how to pray. 
He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I got to memorize in the King James Version. It's more spiritual that way, I think, I think, when you pray it. But he gave them kind of a pattern, an outline. And Paul often prays for these people in his letters. Ephesians has two great prayers. You can look that up in Ephesians. Here's one here. So number one, he prays that they would know God's will. This is a great prayer for us too. If you care about someone, if you care about a church, we're praying this for our church. We pray that we would know God's will, verse 9. We pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's interesting, he uses basically three words about this. He says that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, these three things, each of them has kind of a unique perspective. But he's praying that basically to summarize that you would get it in your head what God's will is for your life. Okay, we just moved here. But before this move, there was a lot of prayer. Maybe you guys are in a similar situation. I don't know. I don't know all of you. What is God's will for my life? That's the, that's the ultimate question, right? As a pastor, I love it when people ask me that question because I get to tell them, I don't know what God's will for your life is specifically, but I do know generally what his will for your life is because you can go in the scripture and find it out. But specifically, we're praying that. Filled with the knowledge of his will. Now here's the real question. Before you pray, God, what is God's will for my life? I think that the first question is, do you really want to know what God's will is for your life? Isn't that a better question? Because I think, and in my own experience, when you're asking that question, God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? A lot of times we want to hear him say something and then we can hear that and, say, and decide whether we want to do it or not. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh Lord, what is the will for, what is your, where is your will for me to move? And then you're, you're waiting, God, please answer me. And then he says, I want you to move to, where's a horrible place to live? I don't want to offend anybody because they're, where? Maryland. <laughs> they said Maryland. I've never been there. I don't know if it's horrible or not. Think of your horrible place that you don't want to move. So a lot of people would say, we don't, want to move. we don't want to go to Africa. We wanted to move to Africa. We were excited about it. But you think of that place, and then God says, okay, Maryland. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a minute. And then you pray again, Lord, what, el what else is your, you know, where else should I go? Do I have any other options? Maybe so, maybe not. But the point of this whole thing is, and I believe this, before you start praying, what is your will for my life, God? We need to be 100% committed to the answer that God gives us. Right? Because guess what? We're going to find it out in a second. You do not belong to yourself. I'm, I'm gonna, I might offend some people. I hope not. I hope I don't offend you. I like you. And I want you to like me. But here's the truth. If you're a Christian, you are not the person who decides your own life and your own destiny. You do not belong to yourself anymore. You have been committed to God, and God now rules your life. Are you guys okay with that? And he can say whatever he wants. Now, thankfully, God loves you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want to send you someplace that's going to make you miserable. And I, and I believe this with all my heart. 
God actually wants you to be happy too. Right? And some of you are like, I'm not sure about that. Because uh, I always grew up in a church that said, if you're happy, you must be doing something wrong. <laughs> but look at me, I'm laughing. I'm not doing anything wrong right now. No, but if you're, someone, it's like if you're happy, maybe you're not really a Christian because God wants us to be, uh, I heard this before, God wants you to be holy, not happy. I'm not going to get into detail because I want to get a few more verses in, but that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Sorry for offending. Holiness and happiness go hand in hand. In His presence is fullness of joy. Guess what joy means? Happy. It means we're happy. When we're walking with God, that's the most fulfilled and happy we can possibly be. And if our Christianity or our church or our teaching says that if you're happy, you're doing something wrong and you need to be serious all the time or you need to do this and that and it's making you, it's being a burden on you, that's not the teachings of Christ. So, back to our passage, he's praying that they would know his will. But before we know his will, we're saying, I'm willing to do your will. And then it actually becomes a lot more clear. Sometimes, sometimes not. And then uh, that he would walk worthy. That they would walk worthy, verse 10. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So, walking worthy of God, what does that mean? Does that mean uh, that some of us aren't good enough to follow God and hear His will and all that? Well, this is a short answer to that. Yes, that's true. Not just some of us are not good enough, but all of us are not good enough. We don't deserve to be uh, forgiven. We don't deserve the grace that we've been given. Right? That's why it's called grace. It's unmerited favor. We get, we get God's love not because of something we do for Him, but because of who He is. When it says to walk worthy, it's basically saying the same thing He said all along. It's saying this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, then your life should be transformed to where you're actually doing Christ-like things. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? What's people's biggest problem with the church? Starts with an H. Not hitmen. So. <laughs> Hypocrisy. Right? Most people. That's one of my biggest problems with the church, too. And I'm a hypocrite myself sometimes. That's a problem with myself sometimes that I have. So it's not that we're, um, we have to attain this level of uh, goodness before all these things come into play, but if we're a Christian and we claim the name of Christ, our life should match what we say. And the Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's kind of a, a pretty basic principle, isn't it? But what it does not mean is that we have to somehow become worthy in order for God to love us and bless us and all this. No, we could never do that. We're not good, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If it's, gra if it's grace, it's not of works, the Bible says. It's not what we do, but it's just like that fruit I talked about last week. As we live in a relationship with Christ, our lives begin to show the fruit of righteousness in the way that we act. Fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work. It just said it. Increasing in the knowledge of God. He also prays for strength in verse 11. 
strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So here's my, whenever I see walk worthy, you know what the question I ask is? How? Because you don't know me, some of you know me, my family and some friends, you know me. But I know myself better than anybody. And I know whenever I try to do something or attempt to do something great for God or even when I try to go to the gym every morning and do something just normal like that, a lot of times I'm not making it. You're like, yeah, I can tell. <laughs> a lot of times, you know, it's like we, we have big ideas and we want to live right. But when I see things like walk worthy and be fruitful and live like Christ, the first thing I think is how. How am I going to do that? Because I know my history and my track record. If you say, here's ten commandments, keep them perfectly, guess what? Some of them are going to get broken. There are ten commandments, by the way. And then we look at our life, we try and fail. So how am I going to do it? And that's why he prays the next thing. Strengthen, verse 11. With all might, according to his power, for all patience and long-suffering. How am I going to be patient? How am I going to be, how am I going to endure? It's that prayer for strength. If God calls you to do something, he'll give you the strength to do it. But you have to look to him and pray. Pray for it. I'm almost done. I just want to hit um, up to verse 14, okay? Real quick, those two, ver those two words... Patience and long-suffering, they're literally the words endurance and patience. Endurance and patience. And they're a little bit different. Endurance has to do with um, having the ability to... Uh, it, it literally means the original word in the Greek language, what it was written in, it literally means to bear up under a load and to be able to go forward under a, a burden. Like to carry something. To go forward, to endure. But patience is a little bit different. Patience is that word long-suffering. And the word long-suffering, it sounds exactly like what it means. It has to do with other people. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. But we need endurance to be able to live the Christian life in a world that is, by and large, against the morals of Christ. To endure, to go forward, to not give up. That's endurance. Patience or long-suffering has to do with other people. So that you can endure, you can do that by yourself, but you need patience or long-suffering when it comes to other people. And some of us are more patient than others, and some are less patient than, than others, but he's praying that you would be strengthened so that not only can you endure as a Christian, but also you can be patient with your family member, or your friend, or your neighbor, or whoever you're impatient with. You have them in your mind right now, huh? <laughs> Don't say it out loud, it might be someone here. Dang, that would get real. Okay, let's finish. And then he, in verse 12 to 14, he closes this summary of what he's praying for them by saying we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us, etc. We already read that. So the final thing he says about them is, I'm praying all these things for you, but I'm also thanking God for you. Here's the part of prayer that we miss out on. It's not just the request, it's the thankfulness. And he thanks them for qualifying them. You are qualified. I'm not qualified to be a Christian. Jesus says you are qualified. 
And that's what he's, he's thanking God that they've been qualified. Not because of anything they did, but because of what God did. And he, he has, they have an inheritance. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. So basically he's thanking them for three things. Number one, a new standing with God. You've been accepted into his family. Number two, a new kingdom. He says you've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. So you're part of a new kingdom. You're part of a new family. And then, number three, he's thanking God that they've been given a clean slate. And that says, in verse 14, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Remember how I said you have to know, want to know the will of God before he's going to tell you the will of God? And I said you're not, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God? That word redemption, you know what redeemed means? In the new, I think it's the New Living Translation, it says... You were, you were bought with a price. I think it says it in that verse. But the idea of rede being redeemed is the idea of being purchased. You were purchased. And we, some of us, we don't like the sound of that. Like, no, I, I, I call the shots in my life. I decide where I go, where I live, who I marry, where, you know, everything. I decide. So we don't like the sound of this, that actually now... You have been redeemed. You were in slavery, and he has paid the price to bring you out of slavery. Now you were slaves of sin, or you, you once were slaves of sin, but now you are slaves of righteousness and God. And you're part of his family, but part of that means we belong to him. He is the authority in our life. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, the Bible says, honor God with your bodies, which belong to him. Wow. All of our freedom, huh? But listen, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. People think they're free without God. They're not. They're in slavery. They're in bondage. Those of us who have given our lives to Christ, who, are, who belong to God, we are the ones who are free. Even though we are slaves to Christ, that's real freedom in this world. And I think that's what we should also be, that's the thing he ends his prayer with. He's thankful. And then next week we'll talk about who Jesus is because he starts being thankful to Christ. And then all of a sudden in verse 15, he starts talking about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He talks about he created all things through him and for him. Those are in our verses next week. Those are some deep ones. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll close with that.